I don't know if you've ever been to St Ives. It's a beautiful place, much favoured by artists for its rich light and colour. Um, There's a church right on the seafront. It's called the St Ives Primitive Methodist Church. I went along there, went on holiday, because there was no URC in the vicinity. I don't think we've quite infiltrated that area yet. But um, I wasn't quite sure what I was expecting, especially with the word primitive, you know. But when I got there, it was absolutely ram-packed. And I ended up sitting in the balcony, because there was a baptism. And it was a baptism of a child, and the person leading the service was a relative of that child, and took the child in arms to baptise them. Now, whatever your views on baptism, what he said as he came to do that has stuck with me forever. He said, when God has a plan, when God decides to do something, he sees to it that a child is born who will fulfill that role. And the encouragement I get from that is that every single one of us here And the church throughout the world has a unique calling, a special reason that we are to perform in the fulfilment of God's plan. Not one of us is here by accident because God doesn't call without purpose. God doesn't undertake anything except with his overriding reasons, his transforming work in this world. Now, Keith, who I actually believe is at Burgess Hill Methodist Church, but they're still, um, still out trying to find him, I think. But he said to me, today is the beginning of a season of encouragement. I thought, okay, that's going to be interesting. And he also said that he wanted people to be helped to think about their particular calling and their part in the church that, as it were, the peace that we bring to the jigsaw puzzle. Now, considering our calling and our role can end up being one of those sticks with which we beat ourselves, can't it? Well, he's doing all of that, or she's doing all of that, and I'm only doing this. And we can end up feeling quite low about it. But we want to be encouraged by it. So this morning, we're looking at the calling of the first disciples, how they are called, but also how Jesus acts in his ministry and mission to them. And we're going to unpack that a bit. It's a very familiar passage, isn't it? I even remember singing about it when I was four in Sunday school. You know, I will make you fishers of men. Although I thought it was vicious old men, but that's another story. Um, you don't want to be singing that too much, do you? But um, Jesus was there beside the Sea of Galilee, which is actually a lake. It's referred to in the reading as the Lake of Gennesaret. But it is sometimes called other things too. But it was for him an ordinary, everyday place. It was the place where we often encounter Jesus at work. There's nothing miraculous or temple-like or special about it. It isn't a particular type of building. It is just where he was. And it is there with all the lovely accoutrement of the uh, fisherman scene. Fishing boats drawn up on the shore. Men at work, and people were there. Just like whenever you walk down Linfield or any other high street you live in, people are there, going about their daily activities, an ordinary everyday scene. When you go to work, when you go to school, I think some of you must be young enough to still go to school, or you might be teachers and secretly wishing that tomorrow wouldn't come, but... We all have a context, an ordinary context like 
that lake of Galilee. And around us, although they may not realise it, just as there were with Jesus, are crowds of people hungry for God. In fact, the crowd there was so big, it caused problems. Wouldn't it be wonderful to have a congregation too big? Yeah? A gathering of people who are so keen to hear what God's about. But you know, I think that's a vision we should not let go of, a vision we should pray for. More and more people hungry for God. So Jesus got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Now that all sounds like a marvellous coincidence, doesn't it? It just happened to be Simon's boat. I suppose it could just as easily have been Levi or Jonathan's boat. They're just as likely to be out there fishing. They're common names of the time. But it's Simon's boat that Jesus calls upon to serve him. There was purpose in that moment and in that calling. There was a reason it was Simon's boat. It was, as it were, a divine appointment. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing, what he was about. Just the same as, actually, um, we've got someone to share with us later about this. How God um, creates divine appointments for each of us. But sometimes we don't even notice and we lose the opportunities that God places before us. Don't need to feel bad about it. We just need to think, God, make me aware of it. This might be what we, we sometimes refer to as a God incidence. Just as we encounter God in different times and places. Now, it wasn't only the crowd that were listening... But Jesus had a captive audience in the boat with him. He had Simon and his colleagues. He would have been aware, Simon would have been aware of Jesus on the shore as he was working away. But now Jesus was in his boat with him and there was nothing to distract him. He couldn't busy himself with something else. He was there, stuck in the middle of the water. Jesus had, had, you know, worked the situation perfectly for what he was working to do next. Wouldn't it be great to be there with Jesus, with nothing to distract us? That'd be a wonderful situation to find ourselves in. Simon and his colleagues are in the boat, and they would have heard what Jesus was saying. And the work that the word was working in them, the work of transformation in them, was well and truly begun. In Isaiah 55, verse 11, there's those wonderful words that says, So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. The word was having its effect on those ordinary fishermen, just as his word has its effect in our lives and will have its effect in the lives of the people that God calls us to live with and to share with. If you want a fishing analogy, what's happening here is Jesus is reeling him in. And if you're a fisherman, you know you have to be quite careful of that. Otherwise, you lose the catch, don't you? I sound terribly knowledgeable about this. I can't stand fishing, and I've only ever been once, but I've seen it on the telly. (laughs) Simon then answers this, and this shows you that Simon's aware that Jesus is somebody a bit different because he says, Master. Master. 
That tells you that he has a certain opinion of Jesus already, doesn't it? When I first went to one of my schools, I walked into a classroom and the the children called me sir. And I looked around me and said, has someone very important just come in? That's what they were used to calling the male teachers in that school. I I didn't continue that habit, but a title like that says something about your relationship to the other. Master, we worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. There's that realisation. And when we recognise Jesus as master and begin to act in obedience to him, what happens? What difference does it make? Well, it makes a difference in our lives, but it makes a difference in the lives of those around us. That's our mission being fulfilled, to stand and be in obedience to God speaks very loudly of what God is about. What happens in this case? When they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. Success on God's terms follows our obedience. An obedient heart and a life speak volumes about God's love and purpose. Now, Simon and his colleagues realise that this is no ordinary man, no ordinary teacher, and they're overcome with fear and awe. Simon cries out, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they'd taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. It's that sort of shock, that gobsmacked moment. It's part of our transforming, part of our calling, and will be part of all the lives and people that we encounter who come to God as they see God in us and hear God through us, that we come to terms with the fact that we don't deserve any of it, that we are imperfect. It's just like Isaiah's response If you follow on from what we read at the beginning of our service into verse 5, Isaiah, as he stands in the presence of God, like Peter, like Simon, says, Woe to me! I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. It's that recognition of our unworthiness that paves the way to accepting salvation that's freely given and also enables us to live lives of humility. Not false Uriah Heap type, very humble humility, but humility in awareness of the fact that we owe it all to God. And just as in Isaiah's case, it's the action of the Lord in sending his angel in this case to bring about the cleansing transformation you remember he sent the angel to take the coal to touch the lips of Isaiah and with Simon the touching of God in the presence of Jesus was what transformed him and he realized his salvation was in Jesus Christ Jesus touched Simon in many ways in his life 
in his thinking, in his emotions, in his believing. And Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything and followed him. It's an interesting thing there. If you're thinking about what is it that God has called me to do, he says to Simon, you're going to be fishing not for fish, but for people. You're going to be using the things that you already know, but in a new way. The skills you have, the interests you have, the passions and enthusiasms you have, you're going to be using now in this new context, in this new way for me. I've recently started training, as you heard, but I have 24 years of teaching behind me and learning related to that. And the joy is that that isn't wasted. God takes all that we bring and uses it to his glory. Simon's skills, his strength, his determination would all be and were all of value in God's service. But those things only become useful when we submit and obey what God's calling us to. Jesus takes us as we are and transforms us to what he intended us to be. He doesn't obliterate us. He shapes us as his new creation. He loves us and values us as we are, but he loves us so much that he doesn't want to leave us that way. He continues to work in us and create in us throughout our lives. He moves us forwards to new contexts, new times, new circumstances. There are things about you and about me that are ideally suited to the work of God, what God requires of us. God knows what he's doing. He created us this way for a reason. And Jesus called, follow me. They left everything and they followed. Left everything. Now, that's another challenge that we sometimes encounter with God, isn't it? As we move on in him and our, the way we live out our calling may change. We were talking about this in the uh, prayer earlier. It may change as we get older. We might not be quite so good for youth work when we reach, well, anything over 21, really, I think. But um, you know what I'm saying, that actually we can't always be doing the same things, but we can still be living out our calling in new and different ways but sometimes it means that we have to let go of one thing and leave it behind in order to do something else now I'm not holding myself up as a shining example but I left behind one role which I was very happy and comfortable with in order to pursue a new one and at the moment I'm not quite sure exactly what that's going to look like I'm in a sort of state of well I'm just going to carry on with this and see where God takes it When Jesus says, follow me, like the fishermen, we must be prepared to put things down in order to take up what he has for us. So Simon's story follows that pattern. And the way that Jesus works with Simon is a a very clear message to how we will work with others. 
Simon was chosen. We are chosen. Chosen to serve. He was challenged and changed by the word of God. He was aware of his own failings in the light of God and responded in humility. And then he acted in obedience to Jesus, accepting his invitation and following on from there. And that's not the end of Simon, soon to be renamed Peter. His journey continued. His journey was a walk literally with Jesus by his side, leading him on. It was exciting, it was challenging, it was all about change and uncertainty. But in those circumstances, he had to put his faith in God. It was faith building. There were heartbreaking moments and there were world transforming times ahead. When we respond to the call of Jesus to follow, we accept the same. Life is never the same again. Life with Jesus is different. And there's an analogy I sometimes use, that if I was to come back next Sunday and lead your worship again here, lead our worship again, but I came in tall, thin and svelte, (laughs) transformed by some miraculous, changing, life-reforming whatever, you would want to know what I'd done. But the news and and the information, the thing we have, the truth we have, is far more important than that. This isn't just about whether or not I'm thin or not. This is about whether or not I know God or not. And our calling is to share that in whatever way we are required to do. We're not all the same. We're not all called to do exactly the same thing in the same way. We heard about the body and the many parts earlier and Paul expands on that in lots of other places saying that some are called to this and some are called to that and some are called to that other task. So the question is, what are we called to? And we're being encouraged to explore. It might be something big, out in the open, or it might be something quiet, faithfully serving, a small steady light burning in the world bringing the light of God into other situations the challenge of course for Simon and his colleagues was that it was the letting go and letting God and stepping out into the uncertainty that meant leaving comfort behind and maybe taking on things but it was only as they walked with Jesus that they realised exactly what he had in mind for them What can I do? What can we do? Well, there's a number of things that we can do. And I wanted to just pick up on a couple as we draw together our thoughts. First of all, what the disciples did and what we're commissioned to do. Mission and evangelism. All of us in different ways are called to do just that. Now, I don't know about you, but if somebody says the word evangelism to me, I'm taken back to a very nervous young man standing in the middle of Canterbury High Street wearing a yellow T-shirt and trying to engage in some form of conversation with some very people who were far too busy and too anti to want to involve myself themselves with me and hear what I had to say. But actually, mission is what we're going to do. The second we leave this building. It's what we're doing while we're in the building too. 
we continue to be God's people and God's church when we step outside. And mission is living the life of Jesus. It isn't something clever or mystical or something that you have to train to do for years, although training often helps, doesn't it? But it's actually something that we can all do. Live the life that Jesus calls us to live. Augustine, St. Augustine, said this, and I love these words, preach the gospel at all times, if necessary, use words. That's what our lives should be like. Leslie Newbegin was a a URC minister who had the strange honour of also being a bishop. That's quite an unusual thing in the United Reformed Church. We don't do bishops. But as part of the Church of South India, which Leslie was engaged with, he was was consecrated as a bishop. But he says, the one thing, if if people say to you, well, what's the proof that God exists? The answer should be, there is a group of people who live the truth of God and who demonstrate his reality through their lives. We are the proof of the truth of God, living living proof that God is real and at work in this world. We're all called, as his disciples, to live transformed lives, a witness to God's work in us as we let go and let God. A word of caution here. Somebody once said the biggest cause of atheism is Christians who say something but don't live it. Maybe we're called to a particular work and we must let go and let God employ us. Seeking and being open to God's will. Maybe he's calling you specifically and waiting for you to respond. We had a a message up earlier to be praying about people who might stand as elders of the church and other posts in the church maybe that's something we should explore maybe you're sitting there thinking as i sort of touched on earlier i'm getting a bit old for this sort of thing mate it's not all that easy leaping around i can't play the drums anyway what can i do well something we're being encouraged to do a lot today My granny was 93 years old when she died, and throughout her life of faith, she prayed each day for many, many people. And it wasn't until she stopped doing that when she died that we realised just what a difference she made. Praying is one of the most powerful things we have available to us. Jesus and the disciples, no doubt, did a lot of praying in their work. Praying is something we should all and can all do. But not just any old prayers, ambitious prayers. And we prayed, as we did earlier, for the growth of this church community. Some of you I know pray for loved ones and friends that they will come to faith. But sometimes we don't do that because we're not really sure it's the right thing to do. I've got something to offer you this morning. I've had printed, and I I was quite um, intrigued by this idea, a set of cards. You can take them. There's about 100 of them in a box. They just say on it, I am praying for you. And you can use them as you wish. You could write on the back and give them to somebody. You could literally just hand it to somebody if you're having a conversation with them. You could post it through the letterbox so they don't even know who gave it to them. Or you could post it in a letter 
or in other ways, make it known to people that when you say I'm praying for you or you are praying for them, that they know you are. It makes such a big difference to folk. I am praying for you. Take those away. Just take one or two and use them. We could come along this afternoon to pray, share a meal together and worship.